Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We're back here with episode four. I'm your host, Kyle Creasy. Uh, sadly, again, our, our co-host Blake Clark could not make it again. He's still all in with us. He just has been very busy the past two weeks. He plans on being back next week. But today, a very last-minute call. Guys, if you've listened, you know that Andrew Davis was on a previous episode with us, one of my very good friends. Andrew, we appreciate you being able to hop on just to give us an extra opinion and be able to talk with us. So thanks for coming on today, man. We really do appreciate it with the super late notice. But guys, today, not a particularly long one. Uh, You know, the season's kind of wrapping up. And um, we'll get into more things about end of the season here next week and the week after. But we still just want to talk about some topics ongoing right now in the league. And so we've got our regular stock report today. Um, I've got my question for these guys that they don't know about going in. And then we're also going to talk about the scoring outputs in the past month, just because of how crazy it's been in terms of just guys putting up huge numbers. And uh, then we're going to dive into the current state of the Warriors. And then after that, we're going to go into the seeding in the East right now, as it's still very tight and some things going on, factors for teams. And then we're going to just talk about Defensive Player of the Year. A little bit of the running this year, but also just the award in general and how we feel about it. So just going straight into it, Tommy, I'm going to go to, going to, go to you first. We got our stock report. Give me your risers. So my risers, uh, at number one, I got the Brooklyn Nets. So over his last five, KD is averaging 34, 8, and 6, shooting 56% uh, from the field, 42 from three. And then Kyrie Irving. The, the man is back. And over his last four, he's averaging 43 points on 60% shooting. Oh, yeah. And it's just insane. It's just I, absolutely crazy. And then at number two, I got uh, Sadiq Bey. He just had a monster game. And I, I honestly, myself, was not expecting it at all. I knew he was Anybody good, but wants. I just – yeah. I knew <laughs> he was good, but I didn't, I didn't know he was that good. Just real um, quick, man. He did it on all jumpers. Yeah. And that's in, incredible in itself right there. <laughs> and, then, and then at number three, I got Desmond Bain. Uh, he's really jumped uh, – while um, John Morant's out, he's jumped into that the lead role for the Grizzlies. So that's uh, those are my risers. Yeah, and Bain, particularly last night without Jaw against the Brooklyn Nets, he just stepped up when they needed him, man. Like, he was good throughout the game, but in the fourth, he just, like, took over. Like, he wanted those shots. He took them, and he was hitting them. It was awesome. So, I like all those for sure. Mine, my number one was the Brooklyn Nets as well. And it was mainly because of the Kyrie thing, guys. Obviously, the report came out yesterday uh, that Kyrie is allowed to play in home games now. So, that's just huge for them. I, I also had what Tommy had. You know, it is ridiculous. He's averaging 43 over the past four, I don't care if it's like a four. I don't care how small a four-game sample size is, man. Forty-three points a game over four games is ridiculous, especially on the efficiency that he's that he's shooting at. Number two for me is the Celtics. Uh, they've won five in a row, and four of the five wins are by twenty or more. And uh, those wins, three of them are playoff teams. So they've beaten the Warriors, Kings, Nuggets, Thunder, and Jazz, and Besides the Thunder, which they beat handily. They just ended up winning by nine. But besides the Thunder, they obliterated all four of those teams. 
So I have them on there. And then number three for me is Jaron Jackson Jr. And I think Jaron Jackson, uh, we'll get into it obviously later, but I think he's got a real case for defensive player of the year. And he's really anchored this team's defense. And last night specifically, and, you know, he does it on a regular basis, but just two of the best scorers in the world when he was switched onto them, whether it was KD or Kyrie, he didn't need a double. He didn't need a blitz. He he would guard them one-on-one, and he held his own. And he made life tough on Kevin Durant specifically, especially in the fourth. In the fourth specifically, they were getting him switched onto him a lot. And I only recall KD being able to really get something off one time. And so I just wanted to throw him on there. Uh, Andrew, I know we, you know, we don't, like, guys, Andrew's not – this was obviously last minute. So, like, we do our – yeah, no, no, I know. I just wanted to give some context. Okay. Uh, so, like, guys, we look into this all throughout the week. Andrew didn't know he was going to be on this week. So – but he's he's got some for us. So, let's hear real quick. Yeah. All right. So, in third, I'm going to go bottom to top. Third, I, I got the Celtics, like you said, five-game win streak. They're right up there. They, I mean, they're in a race for first in the, in the East right now. I mean, yeah. They're, they're, they're so legit. And they're playing so well. Uh, they're not a team I'd want to play in the playoffs right now. Oh. Uh, second, I got uh, kind of one that came out of nowhere yesterday, the Suns. They've obviously uh, – they've won a ridiculous amount of games. One season locked up. But they had a game against the Timberwolves, and they were kind of getting beat pretty bad, and then they kind of went on a run and came back and, and beat them pretty emphatically. Booker had that huge dunk at the end, just kind of, mm-hmm. again, sending that message that, yeah, this is, this is year two. We're not messing around again. And number one, real quick, man. I don't know if they play tonight or tomorrow, but Chris Paul's back. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, definitely that's way more expected. Yeah, yeah. And the number one, and this, this is really easy. Donis Haslam, man, that guy is ready to go. <laughs> he was ready to go at Jimmy yesterday, and uh, I mean, but that, that I think that a little bit speaks to the heat culture that they have. I mean, that, I mean, they they weren't just like mad at each other in general. They were mad because they're getting beat as bad as they were, and that shows they care, and that's that heat culture that we always talk about. Yeah. So, all three of those, really good. Um, Ballers, just real quick, mine, my three, uh, number one, uh, you guys know I'm not too high on the Bulls, but specifically they've been playing really bad, so I've had the Bulls on here. Lost four of their last five. They did beat Toronto, which was a decent win, decent win, but they've lost to the Kings, Jazz, Suns, and Bucks, and their average margin of loss in those games is 19 points. And also the stat, you've seen it fly around everywhere. They are now 0-16 after that loss versus the Bucks to top three teams on either side, west or east. That's just um, – don't want to – that's not one of those things where I want to be like, I called it, but just something I really thought early on in the year and it's kind of proven to be true now. Number two, I do still have the Kings. You guys know I hate the Kings. But – uh. I only put him. I only put the Kings here because Sabonis' injury has been out a lot, and so this is really just a lost season. I mean, they really traded for Sabonis to make it like a win now move, and maybe it helps next year. But for this season, it's just a wash. And then number three, I got the Nuggets. Uh, nothing that they've done wrong. It's just that um, Mike Malone, their coach, came out and pretty much said that Jamal Murray isn't even close to coming back, and so you're essentially going back to back years. Uh, I don't want to call it like wasting because it's not anything under their control, but two years of like real deal Jokic prime, just not being able to be used to the most of their ability. So that's why I have the nuggets on there. Uh, Tommy, give us your followers. So at number one, I have the Miami heat. Um, Just, I mean, and the heat are always going to be the heat to me, but 
it's just uh, that was a bad look for them in my eyes, just on national television, the outbreak that they had. And then um, they did have some, uh, it was an embarrassing, like it was an embarrassing loss. They lost to the, and then they lost to the Sixers without Joel Embiid and uh, Harden. So I don't like that. They're, oh, they, they've lost their last two. They're six and four over the last 10, but still they lost their last two and they're, they're kind of embarrassing and worth the fight that they had. Um, number two, I got the Raptors. So um, Davis is on here. Uh, that's funny. They lost to the Lakers and the Bulls. Um, so <laughs> uh, that this is just a bad look for them. And then at number three, I got the Jazz. Jazz bad look to get a blitter. That was a big game for the Jazz against the Celtics. It was a big game for both sides. Boston's obviously playing for the first seed. I think they are anyway. And Utah. I mean, Golden State has lost Steph now for probably the rest of the regular season at minimum. And Utah was only – there's still only two games, or maybe it's three, but it was two games behind Golden State. And you just go get killed, just murdered. murdered. I mean, you're trying to play for three seed to get a way more favorable matchup. I'll just say it right now. You this, – this isn't – Luka Doncic has played two years in the playoffs uh, against team, against Clippers both times who have had – all kinds of wing defenders to throw at him. He's not going to be playing against teams like that, no matter who the matchup is this year. I don't – if I'm any of those teams, I don't want to see Luka Doncic in the first round. So this is this is huge for them. They've got to get up there, in my opinion, to the three seats. That was a terrible loss, so I completely agree. Andrew, do you have any followers? Uh, I just really agree with that last point. Luka is a guy you just do not want to see in the playoffs. And, I mean – he almost has, like you said, single-handedly beat the Clippers two years in a row, and now he's going to play the Jazz, and he's going to play Rudy Gobert off the floor. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, like, I know that somebody out there is going to be like, oh, well, Rudy Gobert, whenever they played recently, did really well on him. It's like, I don't care if Gobert does well on him or not. I wouldn't expect him to, but in a seven-game series. But who does Utah have to throw at Luka as their primary defender? No one. No one. So, yeah, I mean, this is really big stretch for Utah now. I think they have to get that three seed, or else, or else they're. I get the one more. I get the one more in there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, like the other night, Hawks obviously got that huge win, Madison Square Garden. You know, Trey's home, and you know they're only I think a couple games out like the seven eight spot, which would be you know a lot more favorable for them. I think it's like four, three I or four so. from eight. Yeah, they're they're only two games off the Nets in eight, okay, and then, okay. so they're not they're not far off. No, but so they had that huge win uh, against the Knicks, and then they follow that up with a twenty-one point loss to the Pistons. I and it's like that just kills any momentum you might have had. Yeah, and I didn't watch that game, but I was just seeing that, and I was like, "What the heck?" Like, I I don't know, man. It's been a very confusing season for the Hawks, but I'm Watch glad that you just, yeah, and I'm glad <laughs> you just mentioned that. Because my random question for you all today actually involves something with the Atlanta Hawks. So, my question. Tommy, I'll ask you first since you're the Hawks fan. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to – I have some thoughts here, but I'm going to say no thoughts, and I'm just going to ask the question. I want to hear the Hawks fan point of view first. Should the Hawks look to trade Clint Capella this offseason? Yes. Absolutely, yes. We can get uh, – I think I think we can get pieces for him, and I 
I don't particularly, I mean, I'm biased, but I don't like it too much. Okay. That's uh, now I, now I'm definitely not a Hawks fan, but I wouldn't assume that Hawks, that a Hawks fan would particularly not like him. Is there any mm-hmm. reason why? Yeah. I, I just think that so many, uh, Trey Young's so special that I think you can get a, a younger guy to put with Trey Young, like a, not a John Collins, but a, a center that can really do more than Clint Capella, you know? Okay. So I'll branch off that in a minute because I got my thoughts. But Andrew, real quick, what do you think? Oh, that, yeah, definitely. It had to be for the right pieces, obviously, but you could probably get some good pieces to put around Trey, whether it's, you know, even more shooters, which you can't really have too many of, or like, you know, like TK said, just a center that's a little more versatile. But, yeah, I mean, Collins, Collins playing small ball five is probably your best. So. Why not just get more non-center minutes? Let's so let I, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I actually like that thought. But my outlook for the reason I asked this question is, I feel like when I watch the Hawks, I'm really impressed with on with Onyeko Kongwu. And like, I almost just start to ask myself, like, are they better off just trading Clint and maybe like a Kevin Herter or a or a Bogdanovich along with him? maybe a draft pick or something and acquiring another like good wing player and letting a Kongwu start. Like that's kind of my thought process around this because Clint's not been bad in my opinion. Uh, It's just like, I feel like a Kongwu can probably do what Clint does if he played to that volume already. I feel like I've seen that kind of flash out of a Kongwu. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but that was honestly why I asked the question. You guys have any thoughts on that? I do have a nickname for Okongwu. It's Big O. Uh, that's all I. That's all I got to say about it. I like. I like the kid a lot. Andrew, any thoughts? I'm. I'm always on board for going younger, investing in the future, and especially if you could, like you said, get an even better piece. Because you know, if if you if you get better overall and you sacrifice one position, at least you're going for a young guy that's got potential. So yeah, it's always always a good thing. For sure. So that's why I I had seen something about it earlier in the week, and so I was really intrigued. So that was what I wanted to use as my question this week. But transitioning forward, our last little thing to the beginning before we dive into our deeper topics, I'm just going to go over the scoring outputs in the past month. Guys, there's been nine 50-plus point games in the past 30 days. Nine. And along with those, there's also been three games – where so Trey scored 46 and then Trey and Steph have both scored 47. So, and Steph would have had 50. He came out with like nine minutes left in the fourth quarter because they were beating a team. I don't remember who they were playing, but they won so bad. Such a Steve Kerr thing to do. Oh yeah. (laughs) Won't even just let him just, just chuck a few threes or whatever, get 50. But so Trey had 46, Trey and Steph both had 47. LeBron and Kyrie both had 50. Sadiq Bey had 51, John Morant had 52, Kevin Durant had 53, Jason Tatum had 54, LeBron had 56, and Kyrie and Carl Anthony Towns both had 60. So, yeah, just crazy going through all those. I know we've all seen them, but it's just, it's still just crazy every time looking through them and like, wow, like all that happened in a month. But I just wanted to ask some questions real quick. Why do you guys think that these scoring spurts are coming about? Do you think it's just random, or do you, or do you think there's a 
I think it could be guys are trying to get into that playoff mode a little bit. You know, LeBron talks about it all year after the All-Star break start ramping up. I think, like, LeBron's been more public about it, but I think that's kind of something all guys do. They know it's kind of that part of the year you need to get a little more serious, and they're kind of just getting ready to take over in the playoffs. So, Yeah, bouncing off of that, I I think some of it is is random, but I think some of it is also a little bit predicated. So um, I think it started off with LeBron, right? He was one of the first ones, I think. Yeah, to get it was, LeBron, it was LeBron, then KD, and then right after KD, it was Ky- Kyrie, right? Maybe Tatum, Tatum. was the first one. Yeah, Tatum, yeah, Tatum was the, yeah, Tatum was first. Tatum was yeah. first. So I think the Tatum one was a random one. The LeBron one was a random one. I think the K- KD and Kyrie were both predicated. <laughs> I do. I truly do. So I – I think it's a little – I think it's a combination of two things. I can – I 100% one of the things that I think it is is exactly what Andrew said. I do think that there's a – especially this year, the All-Star break was a little later than normal in terms of at what game it came after. So you really only had like 20 games after the All-Star break. So it's 100% guys like trying to just come back and just really get going before the playoffs. I also think that there's a little bit of – from a lot of teams a lack of defense just because we're getting later in the season not for every team there's some teams that Boston for instance incredible defensively right now nobody's dropping 50 on them but like I don't know some of these teams like I uh trying to remember who who Kyrie dropped the the magic Kyrie dropped 60 on magic and the magic did have the best defensive rating at the time out of the all-star break but like the Magic are having a next level tank job right now. They've kind of they've kind of accidentally won a few games that I think that if they could go back they would lose. But and that's no disrespect. Kyrie's one of my favorite players, guys. But like I just think that it's some of those factors. Like Carl Anthony Towns, he got sixty. It was against the Spurs. The Spurs are don't get me wrong, they're playing hard, but they definitely won a lottery pick. Getting in the playoffs or getting in the play-in is nothing good for San Antonio. So we're just at that point where you know where you're going to be and you don't want to screw it up. So, you know, like Tatum – and then I'll I'll give you guys my answer for the next question is which one of these was your favorite and which was the most impressive? My favorite was probably Kyrie's, uh, Kyrie's 50, not the 61. So the 61, I only watched like the first half, but the 51 – it was like I was just watching him, and I was like, "Yeah, like I really hope for other teams that that I wanted to see Kyrie play more, but I know other teams are just hoping that this mandate thing didn't get lifted because this is what he's capable not fifty obviously, but this is the things these are the things he's capable of, and so I was just I was just happy to see that, but the most impressive to me was Tatum's fifty four and that's because it was such a high stakes game with them in Brooklyn, and I know Brooklyn's at eighth right now. But, like, any time that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are playing against you, and that game felt like a playoff game, and he was the best player on the floor. Like, so that was the most impressive to me. Uh, so, guys, even if, if one of these is both for you, just real quick, give me your favorite or most impressive one. So, I one of the, it's the both for me is definitely uh, Sadiq Bay. Just because when, when I was watching it, I was just so surprised. Like, I was shocked watching it. And all jumpers too, and it was just impressive to me. 
my, my favorite is probably always going to be the LeBron one. Yeah. And also it's pretty clutch because I was against the Warriors. Kind of a, you know, they're not what they were when they had Draymond, but, you know, with that set. But, you know, it's a, it's a good team. It was a really close game. I feel like most of those 50-point games, because you actually have competent teams, you probably end up blowing them out. But that was actually a game where he needed to score 56 for them. Yeah. No, he definitely – that was like – that was definitely one of – Tatum's was definitely that way. Jaws was definitely that way. Sadiq's was that way. Both teams had a lot of teams out. Both teams had a lot of players out. KD's was that way. But there there are definitely some of these guys, and both of LeBron's, where, like, if they didn't score at that pace, they don't win those games. Like, it wasn't like they were just trying to get to those high achievements at the end of the game. So that's a very good point. But that's it for kind of, like, the little few topics at the beginning. Now we're going to transition to our bigger topics. First one we got. And, guys, we didn't include this team. I, I specifically told these guys not to include this team in their stock report because we we're going to be talking about them pretty heavily. But I'm going to go into the state of the Warriors right now. So, Golden State. Steph got hurt last week in a little collision with Marcus Smart. No real timetable yet. There's optimism that he'll return right before the playoffs or by the playoffs, but I feel like there's always optimism that somebody's going to return from that team. To me, he has re- he's had real ankle issues before. Didn't seem like this is very promising. I'm not saying I think he's going to be out for the year, but I'll be shocked if I see a 100% Steph again, just me personally. But um, real quick, because there's been controversy on it, no, no specifics. Do you guys think it was a dirty play, yes or no? I actually had this written down. I do not think it was a dirty play. Just because if you watch Marcus Smart, the way he plays, he's just so scrappy. Yeah, um, he, yeah he's, he, it's just the way he plays. Um, do I think – did I like the play? No, I hated it. Hated it completely. I mean, I, Marcus Smart's definitely not a dirty player. And, you know, like TK said, he's, that's, he, just, he plays defense hard every game the whole time. And it's almost exactly the same thing that happened with LeBron with uh, Solomon Hill last year. Just kind of – it was like dang near identical. Yeah, but like no, I don't. I don't think it's a dirty play overall. Yeah, so. I don't think it's dirty. I just think it's a very unfortunate thing. But also, not just Steph. Uh, just kind of going into Clay and Draymond, guys. Clay, he is averaging about eighteen points a game. But I know when I've watched him, and I feel like I've watched him a lot since he came back. I just, it's nothing close to what you're used to. And, like, I know I talked about it because Clay was on my stock followers a few weeks ago. Um, But he's shooting 16 shots a game and is only hitting 41%. And, honestly, the type of shots he's taking, it's just, like, it's not worth it. I know know he's going to play like he's always played, which he's trying to, but it's just not working. And he is shooting 36 from three. That is above average. But if you're just barely above average and you're taking eight threes a game, I'm not so sure that that's the best thing for your team, okay? And, like, when it comes to – also, Clay, just not at all the defender that we're used to. I mean, nothing close to it. But then Draymond, I love what Draymond does. I'll always back him up because I think he does get underrated by people. I don't think Draymond would be great necessarily on other teams – but I think he's like the best possible fit that you could put around the Warriors team. But my thing with Draymond is Clay's not going to be Clay. 
Steph may not be Steph, even if it's 90%. Draymond is no scoring threat. I like Poole a lot, but your best three players, two won't be at 100% probably, and the other isn't a scorer. Just very concerning for me. So, guys, do you have any thoughts on Clay or Draymond? And just go straight into it. Andrew, I'll go to you first. You know, I think like when you said, like, Clay was legitimately, you know, up before his injury, one of the best defenders in the league. And just like, I mean, he was locking up the other team's best perimeter player. And, you know, if he, if he couldn't hit shots, you could rely on him to hit threes or uh, to, to defend. And now you can't. And he's not doing either. And, um, you know, I, I looked at that today. I saw he was averaging 18. And I was just like, it shocked me because, like, he does not look like a guy that's averaging 18. Oh. You watch him and, you know, Draymond, you know, he's a guy like Chris Paul that just brings so much value to the team. But, you know, like you said, Steph's not going to be himself. And, you know, Draymond's there to elevate those guys up. But if they're not being them themselves, then they're not going to be the Warriors. Yeah. And, guys, maybe we're wrong, but I think we're safe in assuming – that Steph for having those ankle injuries and getting this one, I just, like I said, I just don't think it's very reasonable to think that he's going to come back at any point in the next two or three weeks and just magically be 100%. But Tommy, your thoughts? Yeah. So I like, I like Draymond a lot. I like the leadership he shows and I think he needs to be a little bit more vocal with clay, what he's doing. I like, and I want to stay optimistic against or with Clay, but I can't just the way he's playing. I, I just can't. He's he's one of my favorite players in the league. I love Clay. Um, just just wish I could fast forward maybe a season, but I yeah I don't I don't I'm not too big on him. And I'm glad you said all that about Clay because it's like, especially the last thing that you said. Guys, Clay has a chance to be Clay again. Maybe not the defender, but the shot maker for sure. But it just won't be this year. Like, I feel like that's been pretty clear at this point. And you may get a big Clay game in the playoffs. I mean, the dude had 38 and went crazy against the Bucks a few weeks ago. But just what you're getting in totality is not what you're used to at all. And it's not consistent. It's not efficient. It's not what you want from your typical Clay. So that's got to get to a game six. Yeah. yeah. Clay go off. Who knows what happens if. If 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 we get to the playoffs and Clay's playing bad and goes off in Game Six, that that that's that's the Game Six Clay might be the best thing in NBA history. <laughs> Very factual. <laughs> then we obviously, aside from those two, I just want to jump to the Wiseman thing real quick. I I'm tired of hearing from Warriors fans. Oh, wait till James Wiseman comes back. When's he coming back? Okay. <laughs> Like, I, genuine question here. Either one of you answer first. Should we even believe in him anymore? No, and I think that the Warriors were really stupid for not adding a center at the deadline. And I'm, I'm going to say that now, and I'm going to stand on it because. So I don't, I don't 100% disagree, but also see the thought of them, though, because for them, small ball is going to be what ends up winning or losing. Yeah, true. Sure. I think that they should have probably looked at some trades while his value was still really high. Yeah. You know, now, now it's like, you know, maybe maybe the plan could be get him to come back next year at the start, play the first half of the season really well, and, like, show he's still that guy and then try to trade him. But I 
it's honestly like the heat with Tyler Hero. Like you had a guy who had insane value, and now it's just gone down so much. Yeah. Although Hero's back on the rise. Yeah, Hero's back. Yeah, but, yeah. But but the Wiseman thing, man, it's like I wasn't too high on him anyway. Not not coming out of the draft. Obviously, he was one of the best prospects. But you obviously have to look back and say, wow, I bet they regret drafting James Wiseman over LaMelo Ball. Like, imagine if LaMelo was on this team instead of him. Sheesh. But my thing with Wiseman, man, is he kind of – it's it's hard to plug in a big man specifically with a team that's – especially at a young age with a team that's trying to win. Sometimes it can be different with, like, a perimeter player, but a big man specifically, it can be hard. I There's – it just – history tells you that, okay? But – he just looked lost because the Warriors are probably one of the smartest playing teams in the league in terms of what they do offensive and offensively and defensively. It's just very complex. But he did look lost and it just looked like he had a lot to learn. And when he went hurt, when he got hurt and went down, they actually – I don't know if you guys remember, they went on a tear to finish just like the last third of the season after he got hurt. And they went 21-12. and 12. They were a below 500 team until he got hurt and then they went 21 and 12 and you could just tell like there was almost a relief from some of the guys that have been there for a while they were like wow we can finally play the basketball that we're so used to we don't have to worry about developing this guy and you know I I don't want to just completely write him off he's it's his second year it's not like it's like his fifth year but I'm about to write him off for this team and I guess my next question because I do think I don't think there's any point in trying to keep him if you think this team is a real championship contender for the next few years. So at that point, you'd probably look to trade the guy. Do you guys think he has any real trade value right now? It's definitely got value. It's just not as high as it was. Yeah. There's definitely going to be a team where he'll, he'll fit, and they'll be like, yeah, well, we, can, we can afford to like, – like you said, like he got drafted to a team that it was a one-off year where they were crap. Usually these high draft guys go to a team that's not trying to win and you got time to like let them do whatever, but he went to a team that's trying to win right now. And that probably hurt his hurt his situation a little bit. Sure. Yep. I'm exactly with Davis on that one. Exactly with Davis. I couldn't have said it better. Yeah. And I, I hate to harp on the guy as much as I have. I just feel like I'm more frustrated with the Warriors organization. I I hate I guess I want to reiterate that. I'm not frustrated with Wiseman or upset about Wiseman. Frustrated the organization because you have a championship core right now and you've just kind of waited way too long with this Wiseman situation, in my opinion. Everybody has their own thoughts. Warriors fans seem to love the idea of bringing in James Wiseman. I don't really know why. But um, last point about the Warriors, there's obviously about three weeks until the playoffs. Uh, real quick question. Uh, Tommy, you first. Do you trust their core and rotational pieces outside of, like, the guys that we know from the Warriors in the past years? I do not trust their rotational pieces, but I think their core has the chemistry to where I can trust them. Okay. And yeah, uh, I, I trust Poole, and beyond that, my trust is much, much less. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, that that core with just, I mean, like, if, if you're if that core is playing up to par, you don't need the rotation pieces to be stellar. You just need them to just do their role. But you're asking them to do a lot more now, and when you're asking them to do that much, I don't think they're that good. Definitely. 
So Andre Udala has not played for quite some time now, and there's still no timetable on him. If he was back, I would feel a little more comfortable, but he's still not, so I just have to take that into account. I trust Poole. I think his game translates. But there's also something to be said about a guy that's never played in a playoff game before. And also, don't get me wrong, I've loved watching Jonathan Kaminga. He's, like, been awesome in 2022 specifically. I like watching Gary Payton uh, the second. He plays so hard on defense. He's a really good defender. But he's never played in a playoff game. Moses Moody, he fits in well with him. He does play more like a veteran-savvy guy. He, he doesn't look like a rookie out there. But he's never played in a playoff game. You know, Bielitsa is going to have to play spot minutes for them. And he's played in, like, two first-round series ever. And in both series, he, like, barely got in. So, like, the dude's really not played super heavy, meaningful basketball. And then, you know, I do think Otto Porter could be solid for them. But he's also very hit or miss, especially this regular season. It's like some nights Otto Porter is awesome. And then it makes you think of the thought of that Otto Porter with this team. But then there's like four games in a row where Otto Porter has like two or three points. And it's not even like he's not doing much. It's just like he just doesn't shoot well. And when I feel – me personally, I feel like when Otto Porter is not super involved on offense, he's not nearly as involved on defense. Uh, just my take. Uh, but just after going over all those pieces, today, right now, are the Warriors a contender? Andrew. No, not not even close. Tommy? I don't believe so either. I think they could possibly even be a first-round exit. No, oh, yeah, and I'm on board with both of you. Uh, Who's their matchup if it ended today? If it ended today, it is Minnesota? No, I think it's the Nuggets. Is it – did Denver get back up there? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's the it Nuggets. It is the Nuggets. It's the Nuggets. Okay, I couldn't remember – those two are like neck and neck. I couldn't remember which one it was. So but both teams are playing better than them right now. Definitely <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, I just – they definitely could be a first-round exit. They also have a chance at sliding to fourth. And uh, if they – or fifth, because Dallas is like three or four games behind them also. They're not far from Utah at all. If they have to play Dallas in the first round, I'm marking them out. Um, I'm marking them out. So we'll see. I also need to see Steph, you know, like if he, if Steph comes back hundred percent, I don't think he will, but if he does definitely change my mind a little bit. I don't know if I call them a contender still just because of all the questions I have, but yeah, but that's, that's all we're going to talk about the Warriors. We're going to transition now into the seeding in the East. Going into the seeding in the East. Um, a real quick question. Who do you think needs home court the most? Tommy. Um, You're good. Okay. So, so who do I think needs it the most? I think it's the, the Heat. So with the struggle they had the past week, I do believe that they need it because they truly do, out of everyone in the East, they play the best at home. Okay. Andrew? Uh, for me, I would say the Celtics. I think they have the best home court advantage. I think their crowd, just like the games I watch, they seem this just be different. And I just think they, I, I'm not, I think that they are a really, really good team, but they have kind of come on a little bit late. So, like, if we get to like in a month and we just say, oh, maybe they just went on like a hot run for however many games, 
you know, they could if, if they are just kind of more of a maybe six seed team and on a top four, then they could take advantage of the home court. Yeah, so my answer was the Celtics as well. And it's not any kind of knock on them at all. It's just I think that their home court advantage is so superior to like any other team in the East. So I think for them to, in any given series, be able to have four out of seven at home, I think they hold a huge advantage there. And there's certain teams where if they had home court, I really don't sit there and think it's some huge – obviously it's nice to play at home, but I don't think it's some huge advantage. For Boston, I do think it's a pretty big advantage. So that's why I have Boston. Um, my next question, guys, is should teams be playing for third to avoid a first-round series against Brooklyn? Uh. I would try to avoid Brooklyn at all costs, but uh, I certainly wouldn't. That's honestly, yeah. I'd just go, yeah. I that that would just be the worst possible scenario is getting them first round. Oh yeah, yeah. Kyrie uh, would get to play home games would just be awful. Yeah, it's gonna be a rough one if you end up as the second seed. <laughs> to be quite frank, I think you definitely want. That Cleveland, Chicago, iffy, it's, it's a toss up right now, but I think you want one of those teams over Brooklyn, one million percent. Yeah. So I'm on board. I definitely would not want to play Brooklyn first round, but for me, it also kind of depends. So, kind of like what we were just talking about, I think, like, if you are a team, like, I think it's so the first seed right now is the Heat by a game and a half, and then Boston and Milwaukee are both a game and a half behind, and Philly is two games behind first. So I think you kind of have to make a real decision here because obviously three of those teams aren't going to come in first. But I do think you play for first for a simple fact of having home court, but also I think you kind of bank on Brooklyn winning the first playing game, my opinion. So I think if you play for first, it's a little different. But if that's a gamble, though, because if you play for first and you don't get it, that's where you'd be in trouble. So for me, like Boston, I think they should just keep doing what they're doing. If you match up with them first round, oh, well, you're the hottest team in the league. Maybe it helps you if you do play them first. I don't know, you know. But I think if I'm a Miami, uh, if I don't keep first place, I'm losing on purpose. Um, and if I'm – I think – I don't think I'm, – I'm perfectly fine with Milwaukee saying, you know what, we'll play how we're playing right now. If we match up with them, oh, well. You know, like I think Milwaukee's that type of team that I think they're good enough to beat them. So I think Milwaukee, they're probably – I don't think Milwaukee has any – because they did it with Miami last year. They didn't avoid Miami, even though they just lost to them 4-1 the year before. Like I just think Milwaukee has that type of build. They, they genuinely think they can beat anybody, and I think they can. So, you know. Also, Giannis is just never going to go into a game not trying to win it. Yeah. It's just not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that too. But I definitely think that the 76ers should not be playing for a for a top spot because I think any chance they can get in Brooklyn, they're out easy. So, yeah, I guess it just depends on the team for me. Um you know, my next thing is, who do you guys think finishes first? And I'm going to answer this one first. I do think Boston gets it. I just think with how hot they've been, uh, 
everybody on the team is playing well right now. I think they're just going to keep carrying it and try to carry it into the playoffs as they keep going right now. Um, Heat have been on a little bit of a skid, not huge one, but just a little bit. And then I think Milwaukee's going to rest some guys as we get later. Not not until about maybe two or three games before, but still with it being that close. I don't know. I just I just have faith in Boston to keep doing what they're doing right now. What about you guys? Uh, I'm really torn between uh, Boston and Miami. I just I think like you said, Boston's really hot. But I, I do think if Boston loses once, they'll really cool off and kind of just kind of coast to the end. And I, I think that the Heat kind of get back on track. Once they do, they'll finish strong. And they've already got it right now. So, so I, I'll, I'll say the Heat get it in the end. The Heat have a big next game against Brooklyn. And so that's going to be a big one because I think if you're Miami and you lose that, I think the Boston Milwaukee's are kind of looking at that and they're like, bro, we're a game behind this team. Like, we need to play for first. But, I mean, I think if they do win that and they go the full two games ahead, it's kind of tough because each team, depending on who you are, you may have less than 10 games left. Like, assuming that you go eight and two and that Miami goes six and four, assuming that you even hold the tiebreaker. Yeah, there's a, it's a lot. But, Tommy, what about you? I also like Boston. Um, I would I would go with the Bucks, but just their skid that they have, I think that they have the Grizzlies. They got the Sixers, and they got the Nets, and, they got, and then they got a Clippers game that they can win, and then they got the Mavs. So, I think their schedule is just a little bit too tough for yeah. them to do it. So I, I do think it is Boston. I think Boston will get that number one seed. All right. And then, Andrew, I know you weren't on our podcast and here we had our first episode. So, I, you know, no disrespect here. I'm just not – it's just going to be kind of like me and Tommy just real quick. But – because it's something that we talked about before. But, Tommy, I'm going to ask you real quick. Have you felt any differently about any of the teams since our first episode? Because we covered the East in really big depth in our first episode for our listeners, if you haven't listened to it. Yep. Yep, so I do feel different. I feel differently about the Miami Heat. Okay. I – when our first episode aired, I liked the Heat a lot. They were my favorite team in the East by a little bit of a margin. Right now they have fallen to third for me. To be honest, I like, uh, yeah, I like the Bucks, the Nets, then the Heat. Now, all right. So, for me, I have jumped the Nets from fifth to third, and they obviously the only reason I haven't bumped them a little higher. Milwaukee is still going to be one for me, guys. It's not changing unless somebody gets hurt. All of a sudden, I hope they don't. But that would be the only thing that changes Milwaukee at one for me for the time being. But um, I would have the Nets at second. But the only reason I don't is because they still are going to have to come out of the play-in. And, yes, I do expect them to. But one-game settings are just crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. You just never know, man. So, yeah, I that's my thing with the Nets. They're still third for me. I do think – assuming they make the playoffs, I would have them at two. So, I'll put it that way. Celtics are still that next team for me. I bumped them up to two. And I have slid the Sixers down from two to four. And I think I kind of had – so when the trade happened, I I was high on it, obviously, because you were pairing another, like, star with Embiid. But at the same time, I didn't – there were parts of it that I didn't like. But I guess I just watched a few of the games at first, and I kind of had an overreaction, like a good amount of people. 
And the more you see them play against, you know, like good teams and even just solid teams again, it's like their depth is terrible. Um, Tobias Harris is just such an awkward fit, which is expected. And then, um, you know, Harden just – questions people have had about Harden are being answered in a way that is not looking good for his side with this fit right now. I'll put it that way. There's more to it, but for the sake of time here, I'll just put it that way. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I feel like we've not changed a ton, but just had some changes, just, which is expected. It's been a month, you know. So, yeah, I got the Bucks. Uh, Tommy, what did, I don't know if you – sorry if you said it, but who's your number one now? The Bucks. Yeah, the okay. Bucks. So since yeah. Not anymore. yeah. So, yeah, man, Bucks. I definitely would expect them to come out of the East for the time being. But now kind of going into the play-in talk a little bit in the East. Um who do you think ends up in the play-in in order, Tommy? In order, the number seven seed, I have the Chicago Bulls. Okay. Yeah, they're three and seven over their last ten, just not playing well. Uh, like you said, every episode, they aren't as good as everybody thinks <laughs> they are. <laughs> uh, at number eight, I got the Nets. Number number nine, I got the Hornets, and then ten, I got the Hawks. Okay, Andrew, I think it's going to stay the exact same. I don't think Chicago falls that far. Yeah. Um, no one, I mean, the eleventh is five games out of ten, so that's not going to change. Yeah, the Hawks, like I said, if they maybe wouldn't have lost to the Pistons, they could have had some momentum and <laughs> gone up, but they didn't. So I think the only only one I think I think would switch would be the Hornets and Hawks at nine and ten, but I think that. It'll it'll end up being the same, and I don't think the Nets make up two and a half games over the last yeah. nine so, or whatever it is. So I have the Cavs at seventh. They still have like a relatively tough schedule remaining. Maybe some of that changes if guys are sitting out or whatever, because we are in the latter parts, like very latter end part of the season. But uh, I think it's a one game difference, I believe, between the Cavs and the Raptors right now. And I feel like the Raptors, like the Raptors aren't playing for a lottery pick. Like they're clearly playing to get this group some playoff experience. So I think if they can jump at that opportunity at all, they're going to try their best too. So I just, I also like maybe Chicago does, but I'm kind of with Andrew. I really would, even as low as, as I am on Chicago, I feel like, well, I mean, what are they, two games ahead of seven though? Is Yeah. So I mean, two games ahead and then their last three is Miami, Milwaukee, and Boston. Sure. Okay, well, <laughs> that's three right there. <laughs> yeah, maybe they do fall, but I'm still going to protect the Cavs just because of tough schedule and uh, no Jared Allen and um, uh, no somebody else right now. Who was it? Who else is out for them? I mean, I think Garland's been out like pretty much the whole year, but or not Garland, Sexton. Yeah, Sexton. Yeah. Maybe I was just thinking of that. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I do think the next three remain the same. Nets, Hornets, Hawks. Hornets been playing a lot better since they got IT. I don't think it's because he's, like, great. I think it's just another veteran. It's probably something that helped them. And the Hawks, I'm just not – I'm not going to be optimistic anymore. Uh, you, what you see is what you get. <laughs> um, and then who do you think comes – out of the play-in if it started today? So, like, 7 through 10, if it was right now? So, it would be Raptors versus Nets and then Hornets and Hawks. Yeah. 
And then obviously the loser of that first game would play the winner of the second game for the eighth spot. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give my answer first. I genuinely think that the Nets are going to win the first game. I don't think they're going to be messing around at all. You know, I think they secure the seventh spot. And I just genuinely trust the Raptors more than I do the other two. And it will be in Toronto if they do lose that game. Uh, so I def, even though it might be cliche to say who's seven and eight, that's just genuinely who I trust. Yeah. So if it ended today, I'm going to take the Nets in that first game. And how how many times I gotta tell y'all, Trey Young in one game scenarios. <laughs> That's that I would take the Hawks, but I'm a little bit biased. I'm I'm actually the exact same way. I think if he goes into that one game getting the playoff situation, like in a tough road environment in Toronto, I could see him just taking that like the garden and just saying I'm taking this thing over. But that'd be a really good game. I guess it wouldn't shock me if he willed their way into the playoffs. But that's just who I personally expect. But that's enough talking about the seeding in the East. Last little conversation we're going to have here is just some general things about the Defensive Player of the Year. Guys, we're going to go into a little bit, like I said earlier, about this year's race, but also just the award overall. So going into the Defensive Player of the Year for this season – do you guys think that there's a real front runner right now? I, I don't think there is a front runner. Like, you know, earlier we I think we talked about like early in the year it was Bam, and it was one of the situations where it was just like, oh, this is very clear this guy's defensive player of the year. Sure. And then with with the way Draymond was was on the Warriors, it was like, oh, it's his. But since then, there's really not been a guy that when people say defensive player of the year, you instantly think of them. So, I mean, maybe Giannis, based on reputation and just the consistency of how hard he plays, but no, there, there's not a guy that's distanced himself from the rest of the pack. Yep, I definitely agree with that. Um, if I had to pick one, it'd be Giannis, but we, we know who's going to win it. <laughs> you want to tell our audience who you're talking about in case they may not know? Uh, I'm not going to say what I usually say in front of his name, but I'm going to only say his last name, and I'm going to say it wrong. Gobert. Yes. So, obviously, guys, if you keep up with these things, the ladder on NBA.com does have Rudy Gobert as number one on the Defensive Player of the Year. I think he is having another good defensive year, but I really don't think he's just some crazy front runner right now. I think if you ask the voters to vote right now, I don't think he just wins by a landslide. I think he does get votes. I would not be shocked if he wins because some of those people that vote, I don't agree with them having that kind of obligation to be able to vote. There are definitely voters that don't deserve their vote. They've proven it in the past, but, um, I just I kind of agree with you guys. I just don't believe that there is like a real front runner right now. So I'll just go into who my favorite would be right now. You know, when I first was really looking at it, and I feel like the past, I don't know, few weeks whenever I've looked at it, I keep telling myself Giannis. And I mean, I'm, I have no issue with somebody saying Giannis. I just feel like the more I look into it, I say Jaron Jackson Jr. And for me, it's just like, 
he has a defensive rating of 105.9, and that is like a team statistic. But I think for him it's like kind of impressive because he's one of those guys that like you look at his roster and those guys play hard and they have a good coach. But like there's not just a bunch of guys on the Grizzlies that stick out as like really good defenders. And so for him to kind of be manning a team statistic like that with a team that's not really super defensive oriented in terms of player personnel, they all play super hard. But that he also leads the NBA in blocks. Um, I remember when I found that out like two weeks ago and I was genuinely shocked. Uh, he's also only missed one game this year. And kind of branching off what I was saying about him not playing with a bunch of defensive-oriented guys, he is manning down the number seven defense still. And so, like, Giannis, their defense is 13th, but obviously guys have been out a lot, things changing. He has a he has a defensive rating of .5 better than Jaron. And, I mean, maybe this is unfair, but I just feel like what Jaron's doing with the team around him, to have a, to have a better overall team defense – and when you look at guys around Giannis, it's really a bunch of good defenders and good, good like, defensive-oriented players. I just feel like what Jaron's doing is more impressive. And if you guys listened to last week's podcast, you know I think Giannis is the best defender in the NBA. But I just think for looking at the award for this season, I just feel like right now I'd take Jaron Jackson Jr. Andrew? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of like you. I, I don't know. I'm kind of torn because, like, I think when there's no clear leader, like, when it's just a guy that you're just like, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he should win it, I think historical context could take some impact, Where and that, that's why I would probably say Giannis is mine because mm-hmm. you know he's getting it every night. And, and also kind of you, you take him off the team. That's another way I kind of look at it. You take him off, what's their defense looking like? I think – you take Giannis off there, and they're, they have a lot of great defenders, but the way he kind of anchors the defense is just is crazy. So I, I'd still say Giannis. Uh, kind of dark horse, not so dark horse, though, uh, Mikel Bridges. Because yes, and just, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you, man, but, like, guys, for a while, Mikel Bridges was my number one. And, like, he still plays really hard and does amazing things. I just, for me personally, and I want you to go into why you think so because I'm not going to disagree with it because he was my number one for so long, probably top five. I just don't think he anchors a – I don't think he's behind the defense as much in terms of manning everything as much as some of these other guys are. Yeah, that's, that's why I still said Giannis because he just anchors it so much. You know, Mikel's is like a guy that you're going to say, all right, go take the best wing player. He's going to do a great job like – I mean, I, I watch him. He's he's one of the guys that when I see LeBron going against him, I'm kind of like, oh, crap. Because he's going to do as good of a job as anybody in the league. Oh, yeah. I mean, arguably the best. If you tell me, hey, you get to choose one defender right now to throw on a guard, I'm, I'll take Mikel Bridges over anybody right now. So, you got a different, a different answer? I would say it's him, but I, I, don't, I love Drew. I love and also Marcus Smart. The, very, very fair, right. very fair with Drew, and I apologize yeah. for that specifically to everybody listening because I'm super high on Drew. Yeah. But so, also, like you said, on a guard, Mikel's got the length over those guys, and that's probably another reason you'd say him. Yeah. Now, Marcus Smart, though, 
I'm actually getting – I think he is an all – I think he deserves an all-defense, this team selection. But I, I feel like he's not – it's kind of hard to describe because defense is one of those things It's like there's not a lot of stat for it. Like, I just feel like subjectively for me when I've watched, it's not been the Marcus Smart that's like – he's still really good. I, he's more than deserving of an all-defense selection. I just don't feel like this season specifically Marcus Smart has been as good defensively. Tommy, um, who would you choose right now? You haven't, we haven't asked you yet, right? Uh, so I kind of let off with it. I would choose Giannis just because he is that guy. But um, yeah, just yeah, Giannis. Yeah, and like, like I said, guys, like I have no problem. Like, even though Jaren's my pick, guys, if Giannis won, I'm not mad. Like, yeah, I, it's super close race. Like, he, like. I I would not argue at all if Giannis won. And although I respect Gobert, I would be pretty upset if he won it this year. Because Utah no, – yeah. the argument for Gobert has always been how – because Utah doesn't have a lot of defenders, like, at all, really. So, like, the argument for Gobert has always been the team defense and how he anchors it. But this year specifically, their their defense – is not as good. It's 10th right now. So Gobert's normally leading like a top five defense, and this year it's 10th. I mean, I'm not saying 10th's bad, but like for a guy's argument, the guy's only argument for the most part the past few years has been that, and it's not as good this year. So I would be pretty upset if he won it this year. But now kind of going into – the kind of history of the defensive player of the year and the way it's voted on and all that. It's like a, it's, it's weird compared to other awards because defense, like I just said earlier, is one of those things where like you really just kind of have to watch and know what you're watching because there's, there's really only like a few things to look at and it's like blocks and steals, which aren't the best thing to look at at all. And deflections which again aren't one of the best things to look at at all and like defensive rating and like there's also what do players shoot when you're on them but like that doesn't account for were you being doubled how much help were you seeing um you could be just the the dude could miss a wide open shot but if you're the nearest defender that goes for you um, so it's just like it's weird stats. Defensive rating is such a team oriented stat. But does team defense mean a lot to you when you're picking defensive player of the year and why or why not? So for me, yes and no. It depends on the situation. So if you're a guy like uh maybe Draymond Green, where you bring your whole group together. And if you're playing well, your whole team is playing well defensively, yes, I look at team defense. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if you have just a bunch of dogs on your team, a bunch of good defensive players, you can't really look at team defense. Okay. Andrew, I'm kind of saying, I, I take it a lot into account. I just think if you are one of those really, really great defenders that should be in, in the talk, you, your team probably is playing great defense, and it's probably because of what you're doing. Like, you know, like you said, there's not really stats for the amount of times that, like, a guy like Giannis or Draymond or, or um, 
you know, whoever that just like in general kind of affects the play and yeah. doesn't get a block or a steal, but their presence is being felt mm-hmm. and that can be quantified. But like that, that thing that doesn't go into the box score probably does show up in team defense because you're, I mean, you're keeping them from the rim or whatever the case may be. So like, I do, I do think, yeah, cause you're going to, your team's going to play better defense if you're playing better defense. Yeah. So I agree. I think it, it does mean a lot to me. And I only say that because I feel like I've seen situations where Draymond's a great example. Um, Jaron Jackson is a solid example this year. Gobert has been a great example in past years. It's like I've seen guys, man, really good defenses that didn't have great defenders overall around them. And so, like, even Mikael Bridges is a decent example this year, too. Like, Devin Booker's been better defensively. But, like, he's not – he's maybe, like, an average defender, maybe slightly above average. DeAndre Ayton isn't some great defender outside of the paint. You know, like, outside of Jay Crowder in terms of wings. Well, Torrey Craig, but they got him at the deadline. But, like, Chris Paul is a smart defender, but he's not, like, a especially on-ball good defender. He's very smart. He knows everything in terms of team defense. But in terms of on-ball, so, like – Guys like that, I've just seen it before where they're able to man some of these top defenses without um, without having all these good defenders around. So that's why I think it means a lot to me just because I've seen it without having a bunch of good defenders around you. So it's not like you can't man a good defense even if you're on by the good defenders. Um, also, real quick, just a random tangent, I want to give a shout-out to Robert Williams because I know none of us have talked about him yet. Uh I personally wouldn't pick him to win Defensive Player of the Year because he came alive more halfway through the season. And I also – I hate to bring this up sometimes, but I do think it means something if you're like a Giannis, for instance, where your offensive load is as much as it is and you still are probably the best defender in the NBA or one of the best defenders. Because I remember that's why I was frustrated last year when when Matisse Thybul – made all defense because that's all he's asked to do and I'm not saying that that was like wrong but he played 20 something minutes a game and all he was asked to do was go defend and he made it over guys that play like 33 35 minutes scoring 20 to 25 points while also being great defenders so you know like Robert Williams does have some offensive things but it's really just like a lob threat or like screening and rolling and so he's a great defender, though. Definitely top five in the award. He's leading the best defense in the NBA. He's awesome. I just want to touch on him real quick because I didn't want people to think that we're just, like, completely forgetting about him. I just think – I'm sure what I just said you guys can agree with as well. But um, last little thing about Defensive Player of the Year. Um, do you guys think guards get overlooked for this award? So just some context here. One guard or one point guard. There's been three guards total, I think. One point guard ever win the award, Gary Payton. And I think three guards total, which is Gary Payton, Michael Jordan, and Sidney Moncrief. So considering that only three guards have ever won the award, and honestly, whenever they come out with the ladder every year, it feels like there's never a guard in the ladder. Do you guys think that they get overlooked for it? Either one. Yeah, I can't say yes right here. Because to me, like personally, this is my opinion 
only. But I think the defensive player of the year is more of a versatility award, like what you can do. So can you guard one through five, and what can you do on defense? Especially nowadays, because of how much switching defense, how much it is used by a bunch of teams, basically every team. Not they, not all teams switch everything, but a lot of teams, you have to switch in some sort, especially guard-to-guard stuff. So, yeah, I keep going, Tommy. Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to throw that in real quick. Yeah, so this is just, just – the bigger guys can physically do more than, than a guard can do, truthfully and honestly. So I can't say yes to this question. I can't. I mean, like, I think it is, yes, they get overlooked, but it's for a good reason. Because, you know, as a guard, you're probably just asked to guard your guy and don't let him get by you. But for a big man, you're asked to guard your guy, try to get back down, but also be a deterrent at the rim. And then once they get to the rim, block shots and – you're asked to switch out on the guards and all that kind of – and, like, it's harder for a big man to guard a guard versus a guard guarding big because when you're kind of a little guy guarding a big guy, it's just kind of try to be strong and whatever. But when you're, you're a big guy, ask them to move. Like, if you can move, that's – it's a game changer. So, that, I think just big men, they just have to do more. And if you do do it, then that's a lot more uh, impactful on your team as a whole. Yeah, and I agree with what – with some things that both of you have said, you know, I do think that they get overlooked to an extent because to me, like one thing that I'm big about whenever I look at players, I may not necessarily look at how many MVPs you won. Sometimes it may be more like how many top five MVP finishes did you have? Like, were you a MVP caliber player in most years? Like, you know what I'm saying? So I guess I do the same thing for defensive player of the year too. And I do feel like guards get overlooked in that aspect. So, like, for someone like me who likes to look at stuff like that, I do feel like there's years where Drew Holiday was probably top five and didn't get the recognition he he deserved. Or maybe even Marcus Smart in some years past and some other guys. But I do think ultimately that they don't get overlooked in terms of winning the award because of, like Tommy said, like the, the versatility that you have to have, especially nowadays, but also just like anchoring a defense. And that anchor is oftentimes going to come from somewhat of a big man, can come from a wing player, like more of a forward, but it's going to come from a bigger player. And so, like, I just – it's just hard to argue that even a really good guard has more of an impact than anybody who's a good big man defender that's anchoring a defense in terms of full impact. You guys agree? 100%. Yeah. Let me say real quick, the award lost all credibility when Marcus All won it over LeBron in 2013 and then was on the second team all defense. You know, and they've they've got some explaining to do with that because obviously the LeBron side, like forget the LeBron side of things. How did the voters – vote him defensive player of the year, but the majority didn't have him as a first-team center. It's it's literally the most puzzling thing in, like, award history. Like, even if – like, that's something you got to think about because even if LeBron would have won the award, that would have meant Gasol was second but still didn't make first-team. the center that was first-team over him? Oh, I have no idea, honestly. Such a weird situation. Um, that probably, I'm not gonna act like 
I was only like 12 or 13 at the time, so I'm not going to act like I understood defense to the ability I do today in terms of, you know, legit like schemes and rotations and switchability and all that. So I'm not going to act like one or the other deserved it. But that's the more puzzling thing to me is even if Gasol was second, how was he not first team center? So the first team had Abaka, Tyson Chandler, and Joakim Noah all over Gasol. Wow. It was LeBron, Abaka, uh, Tyson Chandler, Joakim Noah, and Tony Allen. Second team was Tim Duncan, Paul George, Mark Gasol, Avery Bradley, and Mike Conley. They put two pure centers over him and then voted him defensive player of the year. I've heard this before, but that probably just means that it still doesn't add up. I don't know. But in some way or fashion, there was no real consensus on who defensive player of the year was. And there was probably like four or five people that people were voting between. And then I don't know if they had controversy or whatever, but they did the same thing in terms of who was first team. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know, man. And that that's why I'm glad that now they show you who the voter is and who they voted for, because those people should be held accountable because for a long time, their information, it didn't get leaked who voted for who. Now you can see like somebody had their all defensive team a few years ago and Russell Westbrook and Andre Drummond were on it. And the argument and the dude tried to defend himself and he was like, oh, well, Andre Drummond averages almost two steals and two blocks a game. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Didn't someone vote Luca last year? Yes, or two years ago, one of the two. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah I don't remember if it was last year or two years ago. But, yes, yeah, somebody voted Luca, and I was like, what are you doing? And at Mavs fans, I, oh, my gosh, I've seen this too many times. They're posting how Luca has the best defensive rating this year by a guard. And I'm sitting here like, he plays on a top five defense. Yeah, his defensive rating is going to be good. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's made some strides, but he's still maybe like – st- in terms of guarding a above-average offensive player, he's still below average defensively. And so for anybody to sit here and say Luka Doncic deserves it this year because of his defensive rating, get out of here. <laughs> But yeah, but guys, we're not gonna t- we're not gonna talk about selections for all these awards yet. Obviously, we've talked about we've given some thoughts on MVP before. We've talked about defensive player of the year a little bit, but we have a special episode right before the playoffs where we're gonna be talking about nothing but playoff matchups, and we're going to pick every award and all NBA selections, all defense, rookie teams. So we're excited for that one. That'll be a fun one with some debates and stuff. But guys, that's all we've got for today. Uh, if you've listened the whole time, really do appreciate you, Andrew. Again, man, thanks for thanks for coming on such a late notice. Appreciate you giving some really good insight today and just being able to hop on with us and have a good conversation. Seriously, man, can't thank you enough. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course, man. And like, guys, it's not that I don't think me and Tommy could do it, but I think it's good for you to hear other opinions sometimes. And so it's like three people, in my opinion. That's why whenever I envision this podcast. I wanted three people. And so three people, in my opinion, is a good amount of people to hear from and to have different voice variety. So again, man, just can't thank you enough for hopping on today. But guys, that's it. Uh, Appreciate you tuning in. That's it for episode four of the Coast to Coast podcast. And we will be back next week. See you guys.
Tate.